go around and get to know some people and chat, and that would be terrific. So let me, let me share with you, before we get started, I'm going to tell you a story. I have three kids, uh, Nathan, Carissa, and Jordan. Jordan just left the room, as a matter of fact, not because I'm going to talk about her, because Jordan is okay with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, when Jordan was, when I first came to Hope uh, 13 years ago, Jordan would have been uh, three or four about that time, because I don't know if it was exactly 13 years ago. But when I used to get up to speak, uh, Jordan would stand next to me. Because Jordan likes being up front. Jordan likes doing what I do. Jordan likes, like the, she, Jordan is very much like me. She's the child we've discovered who is most like me, uh, for good and for bad. Uh, so some things that are positives and negatives about Jordan and my personality, things that Jordan uh, tends to follow in that is that we are both highly committed. When we say we're going to do something, we are going to get it done because we are committed to it when we see that it has value. When we do not see the value to that thing, uh, when we perceive that it's not worth it, then it's not worth it. And so that would include things like school, work, or even the wash, or cleaning a room, or making your bed. Jordan and I are both also forgetful. And to combat forgetfulness, I've had to learn to create systems to keep me from being forgetful. So I have things on my phone that alarms that remind me. Uh, I am forgetful enough that as I'm driving, I forget where I'm going. Uh, it's not because I don't remember where I'm going. It's because I've been distracted by something else that happened along the way. And I literally have been at the corner of a street and not sure if I should turn left or right. Jordan is forgetful as well. Jordan forgets things all the time. She forgets uh, her earbuds before she leaves for school. She forgets her homework before she leaves school. All those kinds of things. And so it, it tends to have this. So we've been teaching her. I've been trying to teach her to create systems to help her not to forget. Another like is that we're also very confident, all right? She and I are very confident in who we are, and we're so confident that we rarely believe that we are wrong. You can see I can get you in trouble. Uh, we also are so confident that even when someone proves that we are wrong, we still deep down believe that we're probably right. And that, again, applies to school, where it's gotten me in a lot of trouble going to school. It's getting Jordan pickles herself. Uh, and it also includes things like when mom says do the wash. Uh, we don't do the wash. Uh, so there's two reasons Jordan is like me. She just walked back in the room now so we can all embarrass her. Uh, Jordan, have a seat honey. <laughs> uh, Jordan uh, and I, uh, there's two reasons she's like me, nature and nurture, okay? There's this genetic code that's been wired into her that I am a part of, and she also watches me. She watches the things that I do. As a matter of fact, this is a horrible story to tell, but when, when she was little, she was in a child seat, driving seat behind me. We were in our minivan. We were going on a vacation, and we were headed to Baltimore. We were going to the aquarium. And as we were at the aquarium, we went to the parking garage. And, you know, we're a young family. We don't have a lot of money for vacation. We're making our best to get by, all those kinds of things that happen with young families. And as we, uh, I've got the family budget planned for the vacation, but I didn't plan on parking in Baltimore. And as we pulled into the parking garage with our minivan, I was shocked by the price of it. And I said something like this. I said, oh, my. Look how much it costs to park here. 
something like that, not exactly like that, but something like that. And two-year-old Jordan behind me repeated the exact words that I said about the high-priced parking in Baltimore. Jordan watches me, and Jordan is genetically coded to be like me. And so the only one I can blame is me and my wife Kelly a little bit too. Nature and nurture told together are together are what mold us and create us. And this is true for you and for your kids. There's no one else you can blame. You're responsible. So what is cute at two is less cute at 12 and horrifying at 22. But we do that. And it's a leadership principle that I learned a long time ago and began to see so clearly when I was, uh, was a parent is that we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. And so I want to talk about what we are reproducing uh, today. So last week, uh, we talked about, uh, we Brandon began a new series, we talked about the, the Latin word communitas, which is uh, the idea is that it's a group on a mission, that we have this uh, common quest, this common experience, and that together here in Mount Laurel, particularly, we are not building a campus, we are setting up a portable space, or we're not setting up a portable space on a Sunday morning. All of these things we do are only a tool for, uh, or a venue, or an outpost, that our quest, our mission is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. That's what we're here to do. And then we kind of, uh, kind of tease that out by talking about that we are connecting people to God through Jesus Christ, and we're connecting people to each other through authentic Christian community, and we're connecting people to the world to be salt and light. And we'll talk about those things in the next couple of weeks. But I want to focus this morning on this idea of conforming to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others, that this is our core business, whether you are worshiping in Mount Laurel or Voorhees, if you are part of the hope community, the hope communitas, then our desire, our mission, our quest is that we would be conforming to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. And all the things that we do, our small groups, our programs, all those things either support that quest, support that mission, support, support that goal, or they do not. And if they do not, then the leadership here has to decide, do we continue doing those things? Because that's our core business. It's what we're here to do. All the other things should be supporting that. So what I want to do now in the next few minutes is talk about what does that look like? What does conforming to the image of Jesus Christ look like? Before we get to the scripture, I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. It's about building, I'm going to, for this morning's purposes, it's about building the inside and the outside. That we are building... Uh, my inside, your inside, and basically has this idea is that we are fitting something to a pattern or a mold. So we believe that we are in a process and that there's a transformation that can take place, that we are being transformed that, so that we will eventually be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. And we don't believe that this is a magic thing that takes place. We believe that this is an effort that is partly our part and partly God's spirit working in us. So conformity is uh, we're conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. We're conforming to the likeness of Jesus. So that's why things like our part is things like quiet time. Uh, for me, that's really important. Journaling is really important to me because I see that in that as I go back and reread uh, the things that I've written and the things that were on my heart, I find that those are the things that God was working 
uh, in my life, and that's how God works in my life. So quiet time, small groups, uh, our worship experience, service, any, any ways that you are serving in ministry, all those things are our, our efforts. And then we believe that the process is that while we are in those efforts, God's Spirit is working in us through those efforts. All right, so it's, it's this both and that, that it's an effort on God's part, and it, or it's us, and it's an effort that uh, uh, God is involved in this as well. So what does it look like when we start to look like Jesus? That's another really important part of this, right? So if we're being conformed to be, and we're being molded into looking like Jesus, what does it look like to look like Jesus? So I think one of the best ways, there's lots of things we can talk about with this, but the thing that I found most intriguing is a verse I found in Hebrews. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, and in it the writer says that God is talking about Jesus. And God says this about Jesus. God says, when he's talking about Jesus, he says, you love it when things are right, and you hate it when things are wrong. So God, talking about Jesus, says, Jesus, you love it when things are right, and you hate it when things are wrong. Notice it doesn't say that Jesus acts righteously. He does. It says that Jesus loves righteousness, that Jesus loves equity, that Jesus loves fairness and justice, and Jesus loves upright dealings with others. And at the same time, Jesus isn't just not doing wrong. Jesus hates wrongness. I'm pretty sure that's not a word, but it is for this morning. Jesus, it is a word? Thanks. Awesome. Terrific. I like that. Injustice, unfairness, things that are not right, those things hurt the heart of Jesus. He hates them. Jesus hates sin as sin. And here's why I think that's important. That's not a simple thing to say. Jesus hates sin as sin. And if we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, if we're being molded into what, it looks, what Jesus looks like, we have to recognize that there are times, I'll confess, and I hope you would confess as well, that we maybe don't hate sin, we hate the consequence of sin. That we're okay with the sin, we're disappointed with getting caught in the sin. But to be molded in the image of Jesus, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, means that we hate sin for sin's sake. So here's a, here's a challenge for you. I'm going to pray you do this. If you journal, here's a question you can begin your journaling with, or you can, you can uh, maybe just uh, write, you know, I don't know. You don't want to put this on Facebook probably. But, uh, uh, but here's a question for you to consider or a challenge. God, let me see sin as you see it and therefore hate it as you hate it. God, let me see sin as you see it and therefore hate it as you hate it. Because being lying and cheating and gossiping, to be like Jesus is to come to a place where we want what God wants. However sacrificial or unpleasant that may seem, but we want it simply because it's what God wants. And so that's the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I would suggest that this is a lifelong experience, conforming to the image of Jesus for the sake of others. That this is something that all of us are on a journey towards. That it's to love things that are good, and right, and do hate things that are wrong and evil. That it's a process. 
So how do we do this? How does this process take place? And I think this is this idea of inside and outside. One thing is that we're learning ways to be in relationship with others that honors God and blesses people. So we want to be part of a community, but the community is not just for me. It's for me and it's for others. It's about inside and outside working together. We prevent community from becoming toxic or we prevent community from becoming hostile. See, that's for me and for others because it's the best place to grow goodness and rightness. And it makes wrong and evil seem unpalatable. Here's the best illustration I have for this idea. Uh, Back when I was younger, I used to go to McDonald's. I haven't had McDonald's in decades. There was a time when I was younger when McDonald's, I thought, tasted pretty good. You would even have a craving for it couldn't wait to have a Big Mac. Big Mac, and, a, and back then you could supersize things. Can you still do that? I don't even know. And you get fries, big fries. Big Mac just was so good. Now, though, if I have the funding to go out to eat, McDonald's is, it's not even on the list. It's not the last on the list. It doesn't even make the list. I wouldn't consider going to McDonald's. Why is that? Because I have found far better tasting food far better tasting food and food that is far better for me than McDonald's because I also discovered that after you eat McDonald's you taste McDonald's it's you smell McDonald's and you feel McDonald's it just has that thing right that's the same way with when we're in a community that is good and whole and healthy you start to notice toxicity and hostility and It becomes unhospitable, and you don't want to be a part of that. We want to create these communities where we notice that the words spoken equal things practiced, and we work on the inside and outside together. That's why it's so important to be part of small groups. And in your program, you received the catalog that was uh, has all our small group programs and all those different things, inside and outside, inside the church outside the church, inside and outside. All right, so, so we talked about that. I want to go on now. I want to get to our scriptures from Acts chapter uh, 3, and uh, there's going to be verses on the screen. We're going to stop and pause and go through that. And the beginning says this. Again, it's up on the screen. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. It's very interesting that the, the apostles kept up with the customs that they had been trained in. Uh, it was the hour of prayer, and Peter and John were going to the temple to observe it. Uh, Peter and John have been in this intensive three-year disciple program. They're building the inside and the outside, right? They have been in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. And we're going to see that. It's in the verses to come. This is a person who's always there. He's always at the temple. He's brought to the temple and placed in front of it so that others would bring him financing because he has no way to care for himself. And Peter and John see things differently than others see things that day. So it's up on the screen. Verse 2. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. Have you ever seen the beautiful gate? It's beautiful. Uh, When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Medical help in the first century is not available to this man. And uh, people are not much different than they are today, as they were uh, 2,000 years ago. We tend to ignore those in need. 
uh, often we see them, right? Homelessness in our, it's just part of the fabric of who we are, sadly. We see them in the city and we just kind of move on by, right? And so these, this beggar has little hope of escaping this degrading way of life that is his lot. Up on the screen, Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The, main, the, the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene got up and... Oh, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And so the writer of Acts here is Luke. Luke was a doctor, and so Luke's medical background, uh, he immediately orients towards the physical healing. And he notices that, uh, he says that the man's feet and ankle bones, which up to this point had been unable to support him, now are able to bring, uh, uh, they're, they're healed and strengthened. And not only could he stand, Luke mentions that he immediately tried his new legs out at full speed. And he begins to uh, begins to run and leap around the temple. In the midst of his excitement and all this, he begins praising God. Now, physical paralysis, a most basic understanding, and those of you with medical uh, background are going to give me more information that I really don't want, uh, but uh, physical paralysis is a caused by a disconnect. That's all we need to know. A disconnect between the brain and an appendage. So a spinal cord injury, a stroke, or a disease uh, could cause a disconnect between the brain and an appendage, and that would cause paralysis. And so the healing in this picture is what Jesus, a great physician, can do in the face of hopelessness. That Jesus can bring hope to what is hopeless, that he can reconnect what is broken and severed and make it whole. So what I want to do in the next few minutes, and I have just a few minutes left, is to talk about spiritual paralysis that is caused by sin, which causes a similar disconnect and damage to the soul and the mind and the heart and the body. That our world is filled with paralysis. Uh, this week, uh, Randy Peterson is over there on the, over there on the side, gave me a, a, a report from uh, from the Barna Association that lists some Philadelphia's perspective on the church. And a few things stood out to me. They're up on the screen. Non-church goers uh, were asked about their biggest objection to Christianity, the reason that they don't want to be a part of what we are a part of this morning. 27% say that they used to go, but it's just not important to me. 27% of the people who... Uh, who uh, don't go to church, their biggest objection about Christianity is that it's just not important to me. 21% say Christians are hypocrites. 17% say that I don't believe in fairy tales. And 7% say I had a bad experience in church or with a Christian. Now, sin and evil have caused a disconnect, a spiritual paralysis. But let me stop there for a second. Some of you might be thinking, and other people might assume, that the next step is me talking about the spiritual paralysis that these folks have for having this kind of response. Let me suggest this. 
I would argue that the sin and evil that's been done has been done by the church. How did, how did it become unimportant for 27% of people who don't attend church? Because the church has made it not relevant to their life. Why are Christians seen as hypocrites? Because too often our churches are filled with inauthenticity and dishonesty. And we're hypocritical. Why would there be a belief in fairy tales? Because the church has sadly taught that these Bible stories are tales to be told instead of life-giving truth to hold on to. And why are they having a bad experience with a Christian? Because there are Christians who just give bad experiences. Sin and evil has caused a disconnect, a paralysis. And this disconnect leads to a paralyzed belief that God can't love me. That God won't love me, or even worse, that God doesn't exist at all. And so this paralysis is hopelessness, and it's rampant running throughout our world. So the story goes on in Acts chapter 3, and the final verse says this. It says, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar, that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. See, he had just become a part of the fabric of the background of the temple. In front of the beautiful gate sat the lame man, begging. They were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. See, they knew him. They had seen him often. He was the paralyzed guy at the entrance. They were absolutely astounded. They were astounded by their dramatic and evident change that occurred in his life. And they were astounded by the brokenness and the disconnect of paralysis being restored. Here's my challenge for us this morning. When you are at work or the school or the gym or wherever it is that you spend your time, there are people all around you, friends of yours, family members, acquaintances, and co-workers, and they are watching, and they are watching to see how you respond to life, and they see how you are growing, but they note that there's something different, and they will see you walking, they may even see you leaping, they may even hear you praising God, and they will realize that you were once paralyzed, but you're not any longer, and they may be astounded. You see, because the inside, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our body impact our outside activity, or at least it should be impacting our outside activity. See, our inside life outside brings right to wrong. Our inside life cures irrelevancy, and it cures hypocrisy. It can turn fairy tales into life-giving stories of faith. And it can turn a bad experience of church into a good experience with a faith-filled friend. Hopelessness can be turned into hope. Because the inside of your life, Jesus Christ, is being conformed into the, into the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, it's up on the screen, verse 15 and 16 says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as 
Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way, keeping your conscience clear. It's this inside and outside faith that is invo involves relationships and friendships and together. Let me share with you a story. Uh, I have a friend named Raj. Raj is really not my friend. I call him my friend. Raj is a store owner. He owns a shop that I go into often. And uh, when I go in there, uh, I go, hey, Raj. And he says, hey, buddy. Raj calls me buddy. He thinks it's my first name. I know Raj's name. Guys, when, when I was younger, my uncle, uh, who was like a grandfather to me, uh, talked to people all the time. And I'd be like, how's he just go talk to strangers? And I've become that. So I go into the store, and I talk to Raj, and I spend a long time sometimes talking to Raj, and we talk about all sorts of things. Well, in the process of talking to Raj, who calls me buddy, I found out that Raj is a vegan. He's a vegan for religious reasons, and that intrigued me. And so I started talking to him about veganism because I wanted to talk about faith because I was curious about what would lead him. His whole life he's been a vegan, and he's my age. Raj thought I was interested in veganism. I couldn't be further from veganism, folks. He started telling me all about these great vegan restaurants in Philadelphia that I should go visit. And so I politely said, that sounds great. Maybe one time when I'm in Philly, maybe I'll visit that restaurant. He goes, no, you really have to. It's the best. Buddy, you have to go there. And I'm going, all right, yeah, that would be great. That would be great.